This is Jan Cox, talk number 2518, recorded April 28th, 2000. As if it makes any difference, I'm going to continue reading the batch that I started last time. I'm sure you'd want to know that there might be some tenuous connection between it all. <laughs> Tee hee. <clears throat> All men, that is to say all creatures with thoughts and consciousness of their thoughts, are held captive. And the fact is that either everyone is aware of it, or else no one is aware of it. And the truth is that no one is quite sure which of the facts is correct. Which, of course, does not change the fact that all men are held captive. And after a short break and a word from your local station, we'll be back with another version of this story, which will say that all men, that is, all creatures with thoughts and consciousness of their thoughts, are held captive, and their captor is their consciousness of their thoughts. So, stay tuned, if your captors will let you. And now a message from one of our sponsors, the Breeze Away Funeral Home. On his deathbed, with his final breath, one man recently uttered these words. I have but one regret concerning my life. I regret each and every time I thought about myself or said, I. The passion of my life was to see for myself the nature of life. And yet by my useless thinking about myself... I blinded myself. And with these comments, his body sagged, his eyes opened wide, and his soul sailed home to the silent land of no self. A man sought the advice of an investigator who was also a pharmacist in his spare time and asked, do you have a cure for migraines? And the investigator replied, no, but I have the cause. It could have been a mystic, you understand. I just called him an investigator. Each morning when he arises, a sailor is faced with two possibilities. The sky will either clear up or it won't. An investigator experiences no such alternatives. Well, if he does, then he's not on the case. And a boy asks his father, Is there a difference between thinking about yourself and thinking about your thinking? And the elder mused, hmm, perhaps he is my son after all. Upon hearing a priest entreat the heavens on his audience's behalf, quote, Dear Lord, help thy children to overcome the circumstances of life which have threatened to overwhelm them. A man thought, how curious that men ignore that the circumstances of life is their life. Can water overwhelm fish? How can men be satisfied to exist amidst, amidst such blatant misjudgment? You realize no one ever considers that? People's always whining, complaining, blaming the circumstances of life. But the circumstances of life are life, or is life. If you take away the circumstances, you've got no life. <laughs> of course you look at it in a certain way if you take away the circumstances you don't have an ordinary life but you have an awakened life that is you're a reclusive silent hermit 
even if you're living in Manhattan. Movement can be naturally still, while to do so seems unnatural to words. And now some news from the bush. One explorer, as he tightened the belt on his safari jacket, said that his present aim was to become as alert in movement as a gazelle and as stable in thought as a hippo. And now a useful study tip for you students still living in the dorm. You don't have to compare notes if there's only one of you in the room. Uncertainty is a contrived product of two. Spontaneity, the natural output of one. And on stage, the actor intoned, Be still, my moving movements, my beating movements. And they replied, Okay. And he continued, You too, words. And they said, Forget it. You think maybe the guy in the outback was onto something with the notion of an awakened man as being at least partially similar to a quiet, calm hippo peacefully in the water right up to his nostrils? I managed to mangle it. I'm not sure any of you knew what it was. It's not absolutely essential to what I meant. But there was an old song back in the 20s, and it became sort of a cliche, I understand, for a while back then, was, Be still, my beating heart. It was like when you're overcome with passion. And so, see, I had this actor come out and say, be still, my beating movements. And they said, okay. And then he said, and you two words. And they went, forget it. Trying to awaken, as the term is generally understood, is not unlike trying to make a silk purse out of a silk purse. Or if you prefer a sow's ear, I have a sow's ear. A father said to his son, <clears throat> who was actually non-existent, quote, in case you've never looked at it like this, children are to ordinary people as waking up is to the few. One man's present approach to trying to keep himself as alert as possible is to make the words in his head not match whatever his movements are at the time. He privately calls it the mismatch method and invites you to try it. A boy asked his father, how is boredom distinct from indifference? And the old man looked down and said, don't wear brown feet with blue trousers. Unless, of course, you're serious about it. And on the business cards he handed to potential clients, one investigator has this slogan. Don't bother asking. The answer is no. This is not a serious business. He says it's good to be sure on the hiring client mismatch right up front. Okay, now that you've got me started, who's ready for this cold fact? The agent everyone hires to help them awaken is the very one that they should not have. A story. A young man asked a seasoned investigator, will being enlightened keep you from torment? To which the investigator replied, no, but will keep you from talking about it. 
The young man pondered the reply for a moment, then said, But if you don't talk about it, then what's the use in being tormented? And the investigator said, If you will take what you just said and turn it inside out, lay it on its side, then look at it dead head on with your one reliable eye, you'll never again have to ask any question regarding how being enlightened may or may not affect your life. After hearing this story, another boy asked his father, exactly what is torment? I shut up, said the old man. I guess some allegories are more subtle than others, especially when they seem to be very blunt and obvious. That is just my opinion. In fact, I take that back. That's just my present thinking on the matter. Headline of proverbial serial correction. A fool and his money are soon parted. Words and movements are soon parted. A sick man drags his family along with him. So concludes our proverbial serial connection. Do you feel any better? A sick man drags his family along with him. You refuse to look at it. You refuse to get it. I don't blame you. Because you've got to believe that the guy dragging everybody else around at least is getting better. Or as you say in Georgia, getting weller. But that's just your opinion. Just as with a man in the prime of his sexual life is everything about a woman arousing, so too with an investigator in the prime of his inquiry is everything he looks into stimulating. A speaker declared, movement is to food as words are to cookbooks. And the audience murmured its agreement. The speaker then said, movement is to reality as words are to dreams. And the people made rumbling sounds displaying their understanding of this comment. The speaker then declared, movement is to sex as words are to mere pornography. And a voice in the crowd objected, yeah, so what's the problem? When it's harvest time, pickers with 11-foot sacks faced with 12 feet of cotton always complain, we don't get it. Obviously not many people here from the Louisiana Delta. Or else you never had a good, honest job out in the fields, eh? Trying to awaken while not yet understanding fully what is involved is like this. <clears throat> you can't swallow it, but neither can you spit it out. You can't see it clearly, but you can't stop looking. No one is fully human without they have words to describe life as they experience it. And no one is asleep without words do their job. A boy said to his father, describe to me exactly what an awakened man would be like. And his father declined, saying, doing so would put me to sleep. Does anyone have the guts or sufficient interest to consider how the idea that describing the awakened state will put the describer to sleep might be applicable regarding the verbal activities going on in your own head as you pursue this goal. One man kept a file on himself, which he threatened to use if his cover was ever blown. 
A real investigator knows no limits to his investigation, says one. My nose goes where, any, where there are any words. And one man kept a file on his movements and another file on his words. One of the two proved worthless. By way of explaining the lack of novels in his literary diet, one man says, quote, I have no interest in reading about the fictionalized life of an invented character inasmuch as I live one in my own head. Now, I tried that on you people a couple of years ago. I didn't know what it was worth anymore, but does anybody ever try to look at it that way or agree, get anything out of what I said or this guy said? So he was explaining why he never read novels. He said he didn't need to read about the fictionalized life of some invented character when he was doing the very same thing in his head constantly. Nobody can look at it or care to look at it or see any use in. Now screw all that. I see it as a fact. You can argue the finer points, but it is a fictionalized life you're living in your head. And if anybody disagreed with that, I, I would not debate it for a second. Because you either see it or you don't. Because you can start picking out all sorts of things that seem to be exceptions to it. But I stand behind my claim that if you see it in a certain way, if you can see it head on, I mean, dead head on, you won't see any exceptions. The life you lead in your head, even though it's in your head, and even though it concerns you, even though it concerns your body, you know, so it concerns your past and what will surely be your future, at least it'll be your future compared to someone else's future. In spite of all of that, if you look at it head on, there's got to be, understand, head dead on so that your eyes don't, don't wander out to the side, to the peripheral, peripheral. I say that you can see your life as being absolute fiction, the one that's going on in your head. It's a fictionalized account of an invented character. If you don't see that, you're not awake. After one man's brother got all involved with trying to wake up, he got a near, and he got a near full of what it was all about, the man finally said to his brother, I've got another name for it, beating up on yourself. His brother considered this for a moment and said, perhaps, but, with a purpose, to which the man responded, Oh, yeah? Are you sure? But by then, the brother had apparently grown totally tired of the conversation and left without responding to the question. A boy asked his father, Do people tend to listen more attentively to the words of someone whose movements are attractive than they do to someone whose movements are not? And the elder replied, have you been playing around in my investigator's kit again? Does anybody see the connection between that and one of my earlier premises to you? That you won't believe anything that you don't like? That you won't give any sincere attention to anything that does not entertain you? And this boy asked the question, do people normally pay more attention to someone who has graceful, attractive movements than they do to someone 
who speaks and does not. Of course, I could make it cruder if I was still trying to get you to look at that certain model of man's life being divisible into a world of movements and a world of words. But I could simply put it to you another way. It surely can't be deniable. It can't be under any cloud of question. And that is, I could had the kid ask another question. Will people pay more attention to the words of someone who is handsome or beautiful than they will to an ugly person? Whoever it was in the dark that went, hmm, yes, you had it. I could put it to you another way. Don't have people... Have you ever noticed that almost all tyrants, the real good ones, are not, shall we say, very handsome? <laughs> could you consider this, that that, is one of, that could be one of the motivations for them to take total control of a group of people because nobody will listen to them, they're so ugly? But at least... <laughs> If you take over dictatorial powers by God, you can make people pretend they're listening. When it turns out there's going to be a spontaneous rally you know, for, to honor your birthday this afternoon in the main square of the city, everyone will spontaneously turn out. And when you say, what a surprise, and well, maybe I'll say just a few words, I won't hold you long if you're interested. Everyone will spontaneously go, yes, yes. See, that or his palace guard seem to spontaneously empty their rifles. <laughs> A certain investigator recently noted, one thing I've discovered in my pursuit of this case is that if you push a horse's head down, his tail rises. Note, no one has a choice as to which horse they will ride but they can stop trying to make it go where it will never go and consequently suffering over their failure. That is, consequently stop suffering over their failure to make it go where it wants to, where they want it to go. And upon hearing this, a weekend mystic said, well, if I had my way, I would get off the horse and be done with it all. Don't worry, sir. That day will inevitably come. A boy said to his father, It seems to me that movements and words could coexist. But the question is, who would want them to? And the elder replied, Only those who correctly understand their true relationship to begin with. It is common indeed for someone to think that they understand what they ask about when their failure to do so predetermines their inability to ever perceive a satisfying response. The relationship between a question and its proper answer is the same as between a man and his environment, to wit, they are one and the same. Two is jerry-rigged from one. The enlightened man's sight allows the sole reality of the one to reemerge. No relationships are any stronger than the eyes that see them. No relationships exist out there no relationships exist, but there be multiple eyes to invent them. A one-eyed man sees things as they are, not in pluralities, but as they are. One thing. Those generally passing as mystics are usually a little more than run-of-the-mind whiners, soreheads, and malcontents who say that life is flawed and unjust and believe that their awareness thereof is so acute as to single them out. 
The real deal is a man who privately wants to alter the way his brain operates. Whereas movement can enjoy being still, words will do anything possible to keep from ever being so. The father said to his son, regardless of which discipline or various methods you employ in an attempt to change the state of your consciousness, there are three inherent and constant laws that govern all such efforts. <clears throat> Unfortunately, no one seems to know exactly what they are. Now, go along and play. Some fashion news. One man's wardrobe makes the following statement. When you're awake, be wary. When you're asleep, laugh. Now right there is the problem you keep having with your hemlines and trouser lengths, which is this. Being asleep can wake you up, and being awake can put you to sleep. Now, I know that most people who hear this will not understand it, which is understandable, in that it's not really correct. But it almost is. And that's all that counts. Right? Words are indeed the workers of magic. Once they get in a man's brain, they turn him from a unified structure into one divided. By words, not only is man made conscious, but from a one is he made two. That is, the words in his brains tell him that he is two. He is him, the words, and then separately from the words, he is his body. What more astounding magic is known to man than that wielded by words? One man's latest tact in the ongoing struggle is to continually repeat to himself throughout the day, wanting to awaken from sleep is a manifestation of sleep. Wanting to awaken from sleep is a manifestation of sleep. Wanting to awaken from sleep is a manifestation of sleep. Okay, sir, we get the point. Anything words can say about movement can be dismissed as just words. But anything words say about words cannot be so easily dismissed. Or is it the other way around? A guy told his grandson, when a man is trying to awaken... Duty, honor, and posture mean everything. But once he understands what awakening is, they mean nothing. And why is that, asked the lad? Because after that, replied the elder, nothing means anything. <sighs> the little one thought about, mulled over, then mused on this comment, then asked his grandpapa, is that really true? Well, he replied, damn near. And the tyke said to himself, well, that's good enough to get me started. A conclusion which no one in the family comprehended. Do you realize that everyone, you, me, the archetypical Buddhas of the world, do you realize that everyone gets started doing this by means that is not correct. 
based upon some whatever method they try. It can always be tracked back to one basic statement that man is asleep and through certain efforts can awaken. But all of the publicly known so-called mystical systems or disciplines to achieve a new state of consciousness, every one of them can be summed up in one sentence. Not by me necessarily, but by the historical founder or his immediate interpreters. And does everyone, does anyone have any notion that all of them are incorrect? That's what these last two papers have been about, last two pages. I'm not sure that they tied together or made that point specifically enough. But in one of them, is one guy said, it's at the bottom of a long paper, but he says, being asleep can wake you up, and being awake can put you to sleep. And somebody says, is that correct? And then I respond, or whoever it was says, well, no, it's not actually correct. But it almost is, because I can't say. You know, if I said, which I've just got through doing, that all of the core, you might say, ideas or the starting point, the foundation of all systems has some statement, such as man's asleep and through certain efforts can awaken. And I say, there one that starts off with that or anything else starts off with an incorrect statement. But for me to say it's an incorrect statement is not actually correct. But it almost is. And so then this second paper was this grandfather. Talks about certain things, honor and posture and dignity and so forth are important for a man when he's struggling to awaken. But after he once understands what awakening is, they mean nothing. Honor, duty, effort. And so the kid says, well, why is that? And the grandfather says, because after you understand what awakening is, nothing means anything. And then the kid says, is that, is that true? And his grandfather says, well, not really, but damn, it's close. Everyone starts out with a premise that I can say, now that I see it, that after all these years I can look back now and say that everyone, every premise, is not your fault, but every premise that starts a man off to try and seek awakening, to try and change his state of mind, to his understanding, his mind's understanding of itself, all the premises are incorrect. But then anyone who doesn't already understand it should have the question in them, like, are you, are you, is that true? Are you sure? Is that true? And the answer is, well, no, it's not really true, but damn, it's close. I still hadn't told you what the real point of it is. Can you take it from there? One more time. All the premises, all the disciplines, all the efforts, but the, mainly the premise, all of them are incorrect. 
everybody starts out with an incorrect premise. Where have you got it? But then you should ask yourself. I don't say how you could refrain from asking yourself. If you do not already understand that statement, then the very mind that is seeking to understand itself, that very part of your brain, your neural activity that is interested in this, should then ask, in response to my statement that all premises are incorrect, you should ask, are you sure? Is that true? Do you know what you're saying? Yeah, I know what I'm saying. You know, well, then is it true? Then I would say, well, not actually true, but almost. It's closer to being true than the premise was. And now some wrestling news. One boy asked his mother, can a man know what awakening is and still be asleep? And she replied by asking him, can a man who was once alive become dead? And although the lad didn't instantly understand her reply, he decided not to push it since she was holding a butcher knife. <laughs> and now for the farm report. At a certain monastery dedicated to the attainment of enlightenment, which, by the way, was privately known to the monks there as the school for understanding why some men want to attain enlightenment, the head of the order carried with him at all times the latest hog prices and a butcher's knife. Quote, for use on any of the little piggies who start to stare at enlightenment, he explains. Understand? If you're still thinking that the premise... That's what he's referring to, for little piggies that began to stare at enlightenment. You just stay caught up in the premise, which is not correct to start with. And you're supposed to go, is that true? I told you, almost. Now on to our food page. The reward of becoming enlightened has always been believed to be the learning of a great secret, which is true. And the secret learned is why some men seek to become enlightened. Not, I think, what any initially imagine it to be. And now for a story that is not metaphorical. A boy came to his father and said, I read that someone once said that a beloved son is never ugly. Is that true? And his progenitor responded, you are, either, uh, you are neither ugly nor beloved. And in fact, this whole thing of you being my offspring is an illusion conjured up through our combined unstructured effort. And quote, and by the by, my opening comment about this not being a metaphorical story was itself allegorical. And now for the literal truth. No man is a real man who does not give birth to himself. Yes, this too is an illusion, but one that is necessary for a person is to ever see what's going on in the, in the reality in which, norm, in, in which humans normally move and think. That's the greatest, or another great illusion. And as you know, I assume, it is found in every well-known mystical system and in all religions, the fact that for something extraordinary to happen, in the religious sense, for a person to truly become a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, requires 
a rebirth that you cannot be as you were initially born. And it is also found in every well-known mystical system that the awakening, the enlightenment, whatever term is used, is always described as being a kind of rebirth that a man in some way through great effort, through increased understanding of himself, has given birth to a new self. That's fallacious. The premise is not correct. And you're supposed to say, are you, really? Not going, not really, but almost. And now for some truly refreshing news. Trying to awaken when you don't fully recognize what's involved is the only thing a person, a human being can sincerely work at and still never accomplish anything whatsoever. Trust me, when you see this, it will be most refreshing. Uh, I got to mention again. The reason I keep bringing this up and with all my caveats and prefaces about I hope that you get past any natural mental inclination to take it as being a negative statement or an attempt to uh, out some misguided effort to uncover some fallacious idea. It's none of that. It's positive, and I have found it to be of great use. And that is this statement, the reality behind it, that trying to awaken when you still don't fully understand what it is, is the only activity that a human being can sincerely work at and still never accomplish anything whatsoever. You could take an impossible task. You could go out to a 20-ton boulder and you could decide, I am going to push that. I'm going to move it. When there is not one chance in the entire universe that you will ever move that boulder. But if you went out and you sincerely, continually pushed at that boulder, there would be some result. Am I not correct? Do I have to tell you? You would become stronger. I could even get into psychological, but that, that answers it. You would literally become stronger. And they would have, what ordinary people would say, I'm sure that they would want to say that if you did it over a lifetime, did it consistently on a regular basis, and went out there continually every day, every morning when you went out, you went, yes, I'm working on it. They would probably say that you would even experience psychological benefits that would teach you stick to would give you a sense of purpose in life, perhaps teach you patience. But I point out one thing, that it would at least make you stronger. I don't even bother to break down all the kinds of muscles, but more than just one place. It would increase your overall strength, probably just increase your overall good health. Do you get it? The struggle to awaken when you do not understand what you're doing, which just cheers you up or maybe gives you the red ass, I look at now, and what I mean before you understand what it's doing, you gotta wake up before you understand what waking up is, I guess.
over some kind of consistent long-range basis. But at any rate, I pointed out that the struggle to awaken when you don't understand what it is is the only activity that a human can engage in sincerely, consistently, and not accomplish anything whatsoever. You don't find that refreshing? Titillating. Ask me, is that really true? Yeah, it's true. And you're supposed to go, I thought you were going to say almost. All right. Almost. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, I normally bring it up. I did last time we met again. Uh, I say to you that you are making, you're close to something really worthwhile. If I can say to you, as I did last time, I'll say it again, that when you can look back to all the efforts you've made, everything you've been through, maybe before you met me, before you started hanging around this, but there's a certain way that you don't have to stretch the truth of it, that you just look back at you. And I've been doing it longer than any of you, so I'll say it for me. I've, and you look back, and from one view, you accomplish nothing. That is, nothing has changed, is the way I usually put it to you. And, of course, you want to say, is that true? And I go, no, but almost. In case you need squirming room. But from there is one valid, genuine view in which you can look at everything you've ever done in this regard and see that you have not changed one bit from the day you started. And when you can see that from that view, I'm telling you, it is refreshing because it, it'll just do something to you. It will turn your inner head immediately and you will look at this whole affair in a way that you never have. But you've got to see it. I can't tell you that you haven't changed because I know damn well this is not, this is without question, I know damn well that your thoughts, your mind says that's not true. I understand that. No one could have told me that. That's why I see it now. You can't tell anyone that. And I wouldn't debate it. I wouldn't try to talk you into it, but I keep repeating it, hoping some of you will, so to speak, take it to heart and ponder, how can that be? If he's correct, how in the hell can that be? And it seems to be absolutely untrue to me right now. And even if that doesn't stir your interest, you should think, well, how can he say that if it's true? How can anybody keep going? Why did he keep going if he understood, if he understood that? I'm telling you, there is a view, and it is liberating. And it's just as obvious as hell. It's as plain, it's right before you, it's as plain as your own heartbeat. That is, from one quite real view, there's not one thing has changed about you since you started this. And I, when I say you, you understand, I mean everybody that's ever been involved with this. Not one thing has changed. But you should at least find it interesting that assuming I'm correct, which I am, that as sharp as you are and as many experiences as most of you have had of an extraordinary nature when you were, so to speak, awake, 
But when you're sitting there right now in more or less an ordinary state, at least your thinking's in an ordinary state, let's say, there's nothing in your thinking that can comprehend any validity to what I said. So at least you should find that interesting. That if I tell you that that is a fact, and you assume that I'm correct, and for you to sit there with your own intelligent, insightful, experienced thinking, and your thoughts just draw a blank. There's no need to even start looking for the exceptions. It's just not true when you hear it. For me to say not one thing has changed. Still on the same page here, by the way. Next headline is, and for investigators who are presently employed, some good news you can use. To go along with the refreshing news, I assume. Nothing you can find is as good for for your cause as is nothing. Total nothingness is singularly superior to any somethingness in the pursuit of this goal. And on his business cards, one investigator had printed, quote, nothing is quite so good as nothing. That is connected with me saying that from one view, there's not one thing has changed about you. You... Buddha, anybody. To me, that's one of the juiciest string of words in the world. It has never completely dried out as long as I've understood it in various ways, said it to myself. There's still juice in it. Hell, I've chewed on it for decades. I realize it's still... I only know two things I can think of right now that immediately always make me smile. That is hearing Piano Red play and realizing there's not one thing that's changed about me. It's downright funny. One man verbally traces his course within this kind of activity thus. Quote, you start out being ordinary. Then you become more complex. After that, you become simplified. And then finally, you're just blunt. The most useful type of report that an investigator can deliver to his client is one in which he does not explain everything. I would certainly encourage all of my start to say close personal friends, my only friends, to consider what I said last time in my little preface. That without any doubt, life is as simple as you want it to be. Ordinary life. Being alive, surviving for 60 or 70 years. It can be as complex as you want it to be. It can be as tiring, as stressful as it's called. But it's simply to be an ordinary human circa our times. But only ordinary people, only sleeping people, believe that that's inevitable. We know what they mean, you should, when somebody says, well, I don't like the stress of life, and I wish I could take things easier, but look at the money I owe, look at my obligations, personal, social, business-wise, financial, and blah, blah, blah. We understand. They say that. I wouldn't argue with them. But life is simple. 
being alive, staying alive for 60 years is simple. It's as simple as you want it to. It's basically simple, but then the way you live your life is as simple or as complex as you want it to be, as you let it be. Then I pointed out to you is this whole thing of awakening is as simple as it is to be alive. But as soon as man started to think, as soon as the brain developed the ability, as soon as it developed this inner voice, that is when the secondary world started. That is when life ceased to be simple, just naturally so. And it became more and more complex. Nobody's fault. There's nothing to say. It just simply is. Life would not be complex. Life would not have changed from one degree of complexity to another. It would not have gone from being simple to complex. No creatures who do not have the inner voice uh, over their known evolution, over their history, they do not, their lives do not become more complex. Elephants are living the same life now that they lived 5,000 years ago. Every other creature. It's only when you have the inner voice. When it started off, I say to you that this whole thing of awakening, this whole thing, this grand and glorious stri striving for another state of consciousness, for enlightenment, for the great liberation, is as simple in its own way as I'm saying the simplicity of being alive is. Simplicity of being alive is you breathe, you get some water, you get some food, and you stay in a fairly reasonable environment. And that's it. It's not open to debate, and I'm not recommending it. But that's all it takes. That's how simple it is to be alive. To be alive is as simple as it is for a dog, for a fly, for a bee. The kind of odd part of it odd feature of all this activity that you know you've got whatever it is <clears throat> two or three thousand identifiable mystical systems and disciplines for over the last five thousand years <coughs> you've got probably as much written about this almost as any other subject that man's ever talked about one way or the other and it's as simple in its own way as breathing and eating, or as being alive is, that is requiring just breathing and eating and staying out of the coal, getting some water. This whole thing is no more complex than that is in its own way. And yet look at it. Look at what it's turned into. And I don't mean it's my fault. It wasn't Buddha's fault. It's nobody's fault. It's the same way that everything else becomes more and more complex. There are more and more words Spin on it, more and more descriptions used, applicable to it. Assuming my kind of allegory, Adam being the first guy who got involved with this, then we'll assume that he saw it exactly for what it was. Then the people after him, whenever the next person showed up that had some idea of it, will assume that he heard it from Adam, or else Adam left some notes, and whenever it was, X number of generations or years later, somebody else comes along after Adam's dead, and they read this, 
They go, ah, and it hits them initially in the same way it hit Adam, let's say. Ah, to whatever description he left. I can imagine the first guy that ever did this, assuming he succeeded in what it was, that is the voice searching for a realization, for a recognition of its own nature is all it is. So assume that Adam succeeded and he wrote it down. You know, to whom it may concern. If anybody comes along later and you feel like something strange about this voice internally and you're never satisfied, the voice is never satisfied. Then here, I worked on this most of my life and here's what I realized and he wrote it down. And let's just say that he wrote down, if you feel this kind of dissatisfaction I've described, if it sounds familiar to you, I'm going to tell you what it is because I finally realized what it was. It is the voice itself searching for a recognition of its own nature, attempting to find itself, to know itself. Now, I'm, I'm just giving you those several versions of it, but he could have just written one sentence that, to whom it may concern, here's what it is, here's what I discovered it is. It is the voice in you seeking to understand its own nature. All right, X number of years, X generations later, his words, his written words hang around and somebody else comes along and they get involved with it. And let's assume that they do not fully awaken. They never succeed completely to go. At any rate, what they'll do all along the way is add words to it. Again, I'm not criticizing. There's nothing necessarily amiss. It is simply the way because at the same time, man's mind was becoming more complex. The secondary world, his secondary reality. So along with it, this is not immune to it. The so-called great secret work, uh, that is foolishness to think that it is outside of the main, outside the general flow of life, that it is immune to whatever influences whatever the circumstances, whatever the environment is for ordinary life right now, it is pressing on us. Being a mystic does not make you immune to that. So, the second guy that comes along, he's already becoming more complex, so he reads Adam's words and goes, yes, that's what I want, and he even reads Adam's description about what it is. But if you don't understand it, it doesn't mean anything. It means no more than to say man believes he's awake, but he's asleep, and through certain efforts can awaken. You read and go, yeah, that's what I want. But you don't understand it. You can say you do, but you don't understand it. You don't understand it until you awaken. So the second guy added to it. Then the third guy. Then the fourth guy. So now we've got God knows what. Ten billion pages of material. And yet it hadn't changed. Only the descriptions have changed. Only our thinking about it has changed. That has become more complex. I shouldn't even say it's changed. It's just become more complex. But the reality of it is exactly what it was. First day Adam went, hmm. The first day, the first man became involved with this, attempting to awaken. Of course, the first guy had no name for it. But once he succeeded, and he left word, and he described what it was, then the next guy that tried it, he had more descriptions. You understand if this is... As I said, nothing's wrong, but if you want to look at, at least I'll point out, this doesn't mean anything, but the second guy, by his words, he did it in good faith. He was trying to help. I just want you to understand, it doesn't mean it's the second guy and everyone after Adam 
after the first guy who awoke or struggled to awake, did awake, that after that I don't mean thereby were idiots, malcontents, miscreants. They were doing their best and leaving tracks. As long as you're doing your best, as long as you're sincerely involved in it, it's almost impossible not to want to tell somebody about it. See if somebody can help, see if somebody else is interested in looking at things like you are. And so they add to the literature of it, which is adding to the complexity of it. And it's so simple that it's really almost humorous to realize what we've come to, which is just another way of saying what we have come to internally. Because ordinary people are just as complex and muddled, in a sense, around the simplicity of what it is to be alive as mystics are now, muddled, confused, stressed, overburdened, uselessly taxed in their thinking and their attitude toward what this is, when it's just as simple in its own way as it is to be alive physically. I like that preacher, the priest in my story. Don't be half of his flock. He entreated the heavens, dear Lord. Please help these poor folks to overcome the circumstances of their life which threatened to overwhelm them. And the guy who heard it thought, how strange. The mind does not realize that the circumstances of life is life. But the more complex, the more overbearing, the, the more preeminent has become the voice inside of one, the more complex life looks. The more stressful, the more challenging appear to be the circumstances. What circumstances? I'll say to you one more time, I'm just trying to, it's obvious, everyone knows this, but you forget it. And I'm saying you shouldn't. There are no circumstances of life other than eat, sleep, get some water, and stay out of the cold. That's it. Any other circumstance of life is what? It's an invention. It's, the sec it's out of the secondary reality. And of course, the ordinary sane, common people, the circumstances of life are certainly much more than those four things. They're the circumstances of, where do we start? Your house note, the mortgage, your car note, or the, the new promotion, the possible promotion. I mean, it's endless. The circumstances of life. Of course, in the religious sense, the minister, in my story, the priest, was thinking about such other non-existent things. There's no such thing as a mortgage. I know you have a piece of paper and all that, but you understand debt doesn't exist. It's an invention, and you have to go along with it. But in the same way, this priest, when he was praying for the to the heavens, don't let these circumstances completely defeat these poor people. Then he was talking about things that are equally as non-existent, like uh, vanity, greed, envy, Blasphemy! Of course, the all-encompassing 
evil. Don't let the evil circumstances protect my poor followers here, my flock, said the priest. Help them, Lord, to overcome the circumstances, and he's saying, of evil. There are circumstances of evil. Take it from the secondary reality back to, I say, is the simplicity of being alive. There's no good in evil with eating. There's no good in evil with breathing, having water. It is simple. And I'm saying this is simple. It's the voice in your head that wants to awaken. And the complexity, I say, is needless. I was trying to sharpen your attention to last time. It keeps looking everywhere. It looks to somebody to tell them what being awake is, what being asleep is. The voice in you searches out books. It reads books. And the voice, that is, you think it's you. You have been turned jerry-rigged from the original one into two. That's what the voice does. But you, the voice, sit there and read a book and understand it. I'm not saying it can't be enjoyed, but realize for what it is. But you sit there under ordinary conditions and the voice believes that it is studying and getting new information about how to awaken. People have tried to describe this in years past. It's like, somebody described it, that it's like walking forever all around the planet, walking the circumference of this planet in search of the soles of your feet. It's hard to beat that one. It is, it's you looking off as far as you can look, and it's the eyeball attempting to see itself. That's what it's looking for, or as I put it to you, I currently like mine better, just for the moment, is the voice in search of its own nature, attempting to understand itself. That's all this is. And there's the voice reading somebody else, talking about all the great people they studied with and the books they've read and experiments they've done and the theories of this person or that person and their theory about or their statement about what being awake is and how to go about it. And there you are reading, perhaps taking notes, perhaps the voice in you getting excited like, this book is it. This may it. I'm about to get it. This guy knows. Do you understand? Literally, it, literally, it's not a metaphor. It's like an eyeball. It's like your sight looking everywhere. And what it's actually looking for, the eyeball is itself. That's what it's looking for, is to be able to look at itself and realize what it is. That's all this is. It is so simple. It couldn't, I don't know how it could be simpler. Because you've got something that's in you, that voice. Everybody knows what that is. It's with you all the time. It's right in you. Nobody else can get in there. There it is. What could be simpler? That empty feeling there in your skull, that empty space, and yet there's this voice resonating. And that voice says, I want to awaken. I want to be enlightened. I want to know the secret. And it looks. <laughs> the secret is itself. There's no such thing as enlightenment or awakening any more than the voice recognizes itself. That's all this is. 
And you can talk about it until 114 scribes turn purple in the face. You can talk and you can read about it and you can think about it forever and it won't change a goddamn thing because I've told you what it is. Not that the rest of it can't be entertaining, but realize it for what it is. Well, try to. Just for me. Just remind yourself you know, that I said that and ask yourself, have you ever caught me totally off base? How can you catch somebody off base in this universe? <laughs> We've been through that. Nobody ever How can something be not quite right in this universe? How did it get out of whack? How can we be like we are and yet not be satisfied? Happy New Year. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest or just leave us a message.